So, hello, my name is Dr. Kat Chatfield and I am an editor at the BMJ and today I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Rav Sodi from the Royal Lancaster Infirmary who is going to be talking about the article that he has written with some colleagues around monitoring glycemic control in patients with diabetes mellitus. Uh, Rav, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. So I wonder if you could start by telling us about um, what, what was the impetus behind um, writing this article? What problem did you hope to uh, highlight uh, by publishing on this topic? So as a clinical biochemist, you get calls from time to time from GPs asking for advice. And one of the questions that kept recurring over and over again was, Doctor, my, my glucose and my HB and one c are not concordant. Why is that? So it got me thinking about this. I asked myself, I wonder how HbA1c is being used in the community. So I started looking into it. And I realized, indeed, there was a problem with the way it was being used. And what was the problem with the way it was being used in the, in the community, would you say? So the number of factors which affect HbA1c, in, in the paper we highlight that, so some factors give you a higher HbA1c and some factors give you a low HbA1c. Now, unfortunately, as a busy GP, you may not have time to actually interrogate all the records and try and work out what these factors are. So for, for instance, if you're anemic, so if your red blood cell, cell age is decreased, then you're going to have a low HbA1c. And, and, and as we all know, anemia is quite common in, in the general population. So there's many people out there who are actually using HbA1c to monitor glycemic control by not taking factors into account, such as low red blood cell age or, or a low red blood cell count. And in these people, HbA1c is not reflective of their disease state. So as an example, um, recently I got a call from, from a a gynecologist, saying, I've been monitoring my patient with HbA1c, and I always notice it's around 30. So, so, so we, we normally say uh, the reference range is between 42 and 47. And, and, and so, the, so I said, yeah, that's a, that sounds like good control. But then he said to me, but recently I started checking the patient's glucose, and it's usually about 16 or 17 millimoles per liter, and that's quite a high glucose level. Now that caused me to panic, so I thought, oh really? So immediately think, okay, how are you doing this? Are you do, is the patient fasted? Is it a postprandial sample? Um, and, and it turns out, all along this patient was anemic, and, and, and that was borne out by the uh, low uh, HBN, rather low hemoglobin concentration. And, and so when we look into the patient's details, we actually notice she's got evidence of diabetic retinopathy. So all along, this patient was not being actually even controlled because they've been using the HbA1c, which was not a true reflection of the patient's disease state. Let's just talk a little bit more about anemia because I think this was really interesting for me when we were um, when I was editing the paper uh, that we we know that um, anemias which which decrease as you say the average age of a red blood cell like a hemolytic anemia or 
um, sort of a reticular cytosis, they will give you a, um, an un unexpectedly low HbA1c compared to the plasma glucose. Uh, but actually, it was interesting to see that um, some types of anemia um, actually increase your HbA1c. Um, compared to your plasma glucose, so you might get an unexpectedly high reading. Uh, is it possible that you could talk a bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. So there are some conditions such as iron deficiency, anemia, um, which will actually give the opposite, will give you an increased uh, HbA1c level. And there's a number of reasons for this. And, and one of the reasons is uh, for some, for some apparent reason, it's not very clear to, to us, Increased glycation is, is induced by iron deficiency. Um, one theory had it that uh, if, if you're anemic, your cells tend to be older. Uh, so uh, older cells, you have more of them, then chances are you're going to have a higher um, HbA1c level. So, so that's one of the, uh, um, uh, if you like, anomalies of HbA1c. Where, whereby microcytic anemia gives you a low HbA1c, whereas if it's iron deficiency, you, you get an increased HbA1c. In practice, whether this is a major uh, confounding variable, if you like, it's not very clear at the moment. However, there are studies now emerging uh, which show that your red blood cell indices are an important factor which affect uh, your HbA1c concentration. Now, how one will go... And how one goes about um, correcting for that or monitoring that is a real challenge in clinical practice. Because as, as you can imagine, GPs or, or any clinician does not have time to interrogate all the red blood cell indices and then make a judgment call on whether the HbA1c is actually a true reflection of, of the patient's glycemic control. This is a role for... for um, if you like for specialty, for specialists like myself, but time is an issue. So, so it sounds like, and we have an algorithm in the article um, for a suggested um, process for what one should do if, um, as a clinician, we pick up an unexpectedly high or low HbA1c, or a, what we call a discordant HbA1c in glucose. Um, and you recommend that we should uh, repeat HbA1c testing to exclude um, a random error, I presume with the sample. Uh, another issue like that. Um, and then um, you suggest um, looking for conditions such as anemia, so presumably not just um, haemoglobin profile, but also iron studies, um, and to think about uh, clinical evidence or history of haemoglobinopathy. Um, and at what point would you recommend that uh, a practicing clinician gets in touch with a specialist like the clinical biochemist like yourself? Now, having said that, I'm sure my colleagues around the country I don't appreciate me having um, volunteered them. <laughs> it is difficult because we're all we are all the time pressure. Uh, there's very few clinical biochemists out there anyway to start with. Um, but what I would suggest is, uh, in general, and we tell all our GPs this now in, in our in our various practices. Uh, if you if you have any question about biochemical results or any hematological indices, and pick up the phone and get in touch. Uh, I'm sure all around the country, uh, every laboratory has got uh, what's known as a duty biochemist. What I would say with diabetes specifically is um, you need to look at the full picture. And I think my feeling is HbO1c is being used 
and abuse, I would say, uh, not very well, actually, to be, if you think about it. Um, once you're taking all the factors which affect HbA1c into account, I think the GPs need to ask themselves the question, is HbA1c the right test for this particular patient? Mm-hmm. And I think as a profession, we haven't been very good at selling the message. Uh, we've all been over-enthusiastic about uh, HbA1c for the various advantages it offers. And we haven't taken into account the factors which affect it. Uh, and my concern is um, by using a test incorrectly, we're actually doing more harm to the patient than good. Uh, so there's very, and I understand GPs and the clinicians are very busy, uh, but I think we need to be, uh, just take one step back and, and ask some the question, what is the right investigation in this situation? Uh, I was always taught to use a, a test to confirm a diagnosis, not the other way around. Uh, and I think sometimes guidelines don't help mm-hmm. uh, because it's in all GPs' guidelines to use certain tests in a given scenario. And I, and I think it's being used piecemeal without further th- uh, thinking about the patient's uh, prevailing clinical situation. Uh, so what I would say is um, if the HbA1c is not relevant for a patient, for the factors uh, um, discussed or mentioned, then one should not use it. Consider alternatives. And the four alternatives we propose in this article are what we refer to as a glucose profile. So around the country, indeed around the world, patients with diabetes are self-monitoring their glucose and they're using point-of-care devices. Now, what I have to emphasize is these devices have to be quality controlled. One has to make sure they're using the device correctly as per manufacturer's instructions. And if you're doing that, then measuring your glucose at home on approximately four times a day, it might vary depending on the prevailing situation or, the, or, the, or your, on your insulin regime. That's one way around monitoring patients other than using HbA1c. Now, in, in recent times, there are other tests that have come, uh, come to the fore. And, uh, namely fructosamine. And fructosamine um, is, is, is basically a measure of all the glycated proteins, including albumin and plasma. and uh, basically works like HbA1c. So if you've got high glucose levels, it glycates um, all the proteins. And this could be also be, a, if you like, a, a reflection of your glycemic state. It has its advantages. Uh, albumin is a shorter half-life than and hemoglobin. Hemoglobin is a, a, a lifespan of between 90 to 120 days, whereas albumin has a half-life of 20 days. Uh, so it gives you um, a shorter profile, uh, pro, uh, path profile. Yeah, yeah. So there's, so there's some disadvantage there. The other test, uh, which has a lot of advantages over fructosamine, is glycated albumin. Now, this test specifically measures albumin, which is expressed as a percentage of total serum albumin. Uh, the only disadvantage is if, you, if, if, if you've got low albumin due to a number of factors, decreased synthesis, dilution, um, if you're an inpatient, it's a negative acute phase reactant, and all these factors will affect glycated um, albumin. Uh, and one of the main disadvantages at the moment with these tests is they're not widely available. There's issues with reference range because there is no standard material 
available at the moment uh, to, to calibrate assays and standardize them. So that's always going to be a problem, these assays. Um, and there's no uh, agreed target. I understand there's trials being done at the moment looking at these, these so-called new assays, but the jury is still out on them. Uh, but 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 it, but they are good alternatives to consider going forward, and I think we need to do more work on this area. Okay, so the message for frontline clinicians is that um, actually uh, we know that a quality issue blood glucose profile is evidence based and it is accurate. Um, although obviously we have um, the the sort of um, challenge for patients in terms of uh, the the amount of self monitoring that they might wish to engage in. Um, it's obviously something we need to take into consideration, uh, but that there are alternatives to, to hemoglobin, uh, to HbA1c, um, although they're not yet widely used and their reference ranges are still being determined. But you know, watch this space. This is something that's emerging um, and that GPs and other clinicians should at least be aware that there are alternatives um, and should be in discussion with their uh, biochemist, biochemist colleagues as to whether these would be appropriate on a patient-by-patient basis. Is, is that sort of a fair summary of of what you and your colleagues recommend. Excellent. Okay, excellent. So just be aware. And actually, I noticed that uh, in in the paper, all of the other alternatives, um, fructosamine, glycated albumin, and, and total glycated hemoglobin, because of the uh, effect, because they measure glycation, obviously, um, they can all be affected by iron deficiency anemia as well. So um, it, it sounds like we're going to have a challenge with patients who've got unusual levels of glycation. Uh, that's uh, sort of interesting to think about what the alternatives might be going forward. Okay, um, and is there anything else particularly that you wanted to draw out from from the article for for clinicians and and for patients, of course? I think the key thing is uh, we need to empower patients to help with the monitoring of their treatment, and only then can we um, uh, get the best out of them. And, and empowering patients in terms of um, monitoring themselves and um, sort of that that kind of approach. I, yes, I think so. I think it's it's a two way approach, especially with diabetes. As um, Fiona Goodley's editorial uh, nicely summarised, we, we need to engage with, um, with our patients more and we need to empower them. Uh, I mean, these days patients are aware of of all the alternatives. One of the effects of this article, since it's gone online in the last 48 hours, I've actually had emails from lots of patients, actually more than clinicians, mm. inquiring about alternative tests. Mm. Um, and, and, and it's understandable. There's, there's patients out there with diabetes. Um, I have diabetes in my family, and um, I, I know the impact it has on, on people, um, mm. and people worry. And, and Obviously, the question then is if this is if this if a given test uh, result is not reflective of their control, then obviously they want a test out there that is relevant for them. Mm-hmm. It's relevant for their their own individual clinical factors and clinical picture. Absolutely, uh, and as, as clinicians, that's what we want as well. You know, we we want. Um, the information that we're making decisions um, based on, um, which is the case with HbA1c and, and other forms of glucose monitoring, we're obviously using it to tailor therapies. Uh, we want that information to be as, as accurate as possible um, and as reliable as possible for the individual patient um, to make sure they have the best possible control. 
Excellent. So I think that the key messages are um, empower patients, to give them the information they need to make decisions about their own uh, treatments and their own conditions. Um, empower frontline clinicians to understand that there are alternatives um, and not to disregard uh, a, a surprising test result um, just because it can't instantly be explained, uh, but to, to dig a little deeper and think about what factors might be affecting it and are there alternatives for this patient. Um, and I think for me, the most interesting thing is I think, uh, you know, as a clinician, um, reminding us not to not to over rely on the, on diagnostics, you know, to, to sort of think about the clinical picture of the patient. You know, are they <clears throat> symptomatic? Are they, uh, you know, describing um, a state of health where they are? There are signs that say that their glucose might be higher than we would like, despite an apparently um, uh, within target HbA1c. Um, so I think to, to sort of not disregard the clinical picture. With, does that is that the sort of message that you'd like uh, readers and patients and clinicians to take away? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. Well, I think the paper is online now at bmj.com. Uh, if you can read it yourself, uh, there's useful tables and an algorithm to follow. And some questions that you can use for appraisal. Um, to reflect on your practice um, and if you have uh, any questions or comments uh, please feel free to leave a response for the authors um, on the website uh, and otherwise I think that's all that's left is for me to thank uh, Dr Rav Sodi uh, for both writing the article and for your time today um, and we hope that we'll see you again at the next BMJ podcast thank you very much thank you very much